If you would, turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 16. And as you, when you find your way there, when you find your spot, please stand with me to read God's word. Beginning at verse 16, chapter 19. And some came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is, not, there is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, Thou shalt not commit murder, Thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness, Honor your father and mother, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You may be seated. And let us pray. Father, as we approach your holy word, Father, we bring nothing, no ability. We approach you with nothing, no goodness about us at all. So we plead with you, Lord, if you were to have mercy and preach through me, that you would unpack these things, that we may be able to have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts right now pounding, Lord, to hear your truth. Father, we have no strength at all. So it must be of you. So preach unto us, Lord. Unto us, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been going through the book of Matthew and talking about the relation that we have with the children of God, the relation we have with the Son of God. Jesus has been pri uh, focusing primarily with his disciples. And we see that uh, we have as to come as children completely and totally trusting in God. 
We bring no ability of our own. Today, the seriousness we will see, the stumbling offense that we have had in the past in the scriptures that we have gone through, it all comes to show us that it is a, a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that relates us to the kingdom of God. So the, the thread that's going through this is how we relate to the kingdom of God, how we relate to the children, how we relate to being able to forgive our brethren one to another and how we approach the kingdom of God. And we see that the mark of wealth is not permitted to be accounted as righteousness. But we see today that as we come, it's about a relationship with the one that we love. And as we continue to go through the scriptures today, the question that is always before us, and when we go through the scripture today is, do we truly love this Christ that comes out of the Bible? The Christ that God has revealed unto us, the drawing of the Father, the Christ that has been revealed to a dead man, that's given us the ability to understand. We want to look at the, the relationship of this. We see the kingdom question as we read the text. We see it, the kingdom answer, the kingdom rejection, and we also see the kingdom connection. The kingdom question I want to bring to you, they were in uh, the down south in a place called Perea, and I want you to think about this Christ because I want to bring in the other Gospels because this is how we get the rich young ruler. And we get this as the crowds are still there, as Jesus is making way to the cross, as Jesus is making way to Jerusalem, as he still has a crowd here, right, and all the people saying or seeing him, we see a rich young ruler. Luke tells us that he was extremely rich. The Jews believe that if you were rich, you were blessed by God. And Matthew tells us he was young, again, being able to accomplish something here. And so he was, he had to be le less than 50 years old to be a ruler in the Sanhedrin if he was part of that group. It's not exactly clear. The information that we have here is about how we enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom as we relate to the kingdom of God and not about the rich young ruler in this way. So we are to examine ourselves as we go through Scripture that we see this rich young ruler, this man who was qualified in the Torah, and knew the book of the law, and also says in the Torah that we, they were to be knowledgeable with wisdom and humility, the fear of God, the insignificance of financial gain, love of truth, love of fellow man, and a good reputation. So on the outward, we see that this man had it going on. This man, in his ability, he was able to look and see that uh, the, the qualifications that he had outside, that he accumulated to himself, was not good enough to enter the kingdom of God, because we will see that in a minute. But first, I want you to think about the approach of this man, this rich, young ruler. When we look at the other Gospels of bring in, again, I want you to think about the surroundings. 
Jesus that Brother Ben unpacked for us last week. He, he brings uh, the, the crowd is there. They're getting ready to move toward Jerusalem. He's headed to the cross. And as the crowd is still there, this man, a stature, this man came running. This man come kneeling before God. This man come asking the good teacher, what must he do to inherit the kingdom of God? I want you to know at the outward appearance of this right here, this man did everything exactly right. As we would declare in the Southern Baptist community, he was ready for the sinner's prayer at this time. But it was an outward appearance. We will see this as Jesus continues to move through it. But just think about the, the appearance of this man running. He humbled himself. Man, he did everything right. He humbled himself. He come and knelt before God because of what the other gospels tells us. He asked a good teacher, the good put in from the other gospels as well. And he asked the right question. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Now when you think about his approach, again it was all outward. His heart was not connected, but he did he did know that there was something missing. But he approached in this way, what can I add to my life to assure that I have eternal life? In other words, he came with all his baggage, he came with all his good stuff, he came with his ability and asked all the right questions, done all the right things, and asked what can I add to my life? Jesus is not an additive, amen? Uh, Jesus strips you from all your ability. Jesus is the life, the way, the truth, the truth, the life, the way. Jesus is the way. No one comes. And so we see that this man, for all outward appearances, he come and recognizes Jesus as a good teacher, as given by the other Gospels. He's putting Jesus on the same level as him. His attitude was believed to be all wrong, even though on the outward, his attitude looked to be all right. This is challenging because he's going to flush out an idol. Because he's going to get down to the core with it. He's going to take God's word and cut to the quick. And this is exactly why we come in here to see if there be any wicked way in us, amen? If we're trusting in something that we have done one time as we had the Q&A that we had last week, we had the Q&A today right here before us. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? What must I do to be saved? And I want that question to be before us. It has a, it's a good question that deserves a good answer. Again, he's putting Jesus on the same level. We see the kingdom question here, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do? What good things shall I add to my law keeping? What good things shall I add to all my doings and to my life? What do I need to do for you to punch my card to say that I have accomplished one more thing, that I may have assurance of salvation? The assurance of salvation is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within you. That's the only assurance that you have 
and backed by the power of God's word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that the fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing is pouring out of you. Amen. And it continues to grow in that area. This man, he knew the law. He knew it all, man. He had it going on. He was young. He was rich. And he was a ruler. So he was studied up. But then again, when it comes to the cross, he lost it all. Because we will see that as read in scripture already in uh, chapter 53 of the Psalms, there's none good. All of our goodness is exactly filthy rags as the Bible says. And this strips us because we want to depend on something outside of us to be able to say we have assurance of our salvation. We want something to be able to say, something to point to. And you do have that time to point to. But it's not because you repeated a prayer. It's because God crushed you in your sin and revealed your sin to you. And from that point on, everything has changed. It's still changing. Those that walk away went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they would have been of us, they would have no doubt have stayed with us. That's assurance. That's assurance that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. In believing this, there's a great leveling at the cross. We have from the children all the way to the rich young ruler, to the not knowing anything, to knowing it all. When it comes to the cross, it's level, amen? It doesn't matter who you are, you, we all come the same way in asking this question, what must I do to be saved? It's a good question, if asked in the right way. But he was bringing Jesus to his level Instead of us putting God, instead of God putting us on his level. He was bringing Jesus, what good teacher? He's related to Jesus as, hey, me and you got it going on. We're, we're smart. We, we know the law. We know the Bible. And so this is how I'm approaching you. I recognize you as good, as a good teacher. And so therefore, when uh, we look at the mercy of God and we see the great question that we have before us, we see that this man is asking the right question in the wrong way. He believes himself to be equal with Christ, the good. He goes on and asks this question. Jesus gives the answer, the kingdom answer. And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one good. And he goes on to say, but if you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. Now this Jesus is not denying his deity. Jesus is confirming his deity. You say that it's good. You know that only the good, only thing that is good is the law, and the God that gave the law is the good God. Amen? And so the attachment here is that the answer came, but sometimes we don't want the answer. We have the question, but do we really want the answer? Because that's what we enter into today. We have the question before us, do we really want the answer? He wanted an answer, but not the answer that Jesus gave. Jesus was understanding the concept that goodness, or Jesus was giving him the understanding that goodness only comes from God. 
And this man was lacking goodness that comes from God. The good that we have in our society is relevant. It's whatever you consider to be good. But God's goodness is absolute. We must have his goodness. We must be robed in his righteousness. Other than that, we will never ever be able to stand before God right, in all his beauty. And that's another question that we have before us. And that's the evangelistic question that we have. If I was to stand before God today, and he asked me, why should I let you into my heaven? Ponder your answer. Because if you point, are pointing to a time in your life or anything that you have done to uh, give you assurance about this God that you have true salvation, then you don't have salvation if it's that. But if you are pointing to a place and time in your life that God changed you from hating him to loving you, loving him, excuse me, that's, that's remarkable. You know why? Because you could not have done that. But we have a problem in our Southern Baptist community. In this community, we have a heresy that's going on. It's called the, the sinner's prayer. He was a, this was a prime candidate for a sinner's prayer. I don't know if Jesus knew the sinner's prayer, but we're right here. This is a prime candidate for one. And we went as a Southern Baptist, baptized them next week or even the very same day, popishly declared and be saved, and then they go off and act like the animal, the, uh, the natural man that they are, right? And we just say, oh, they're backslid. But the goodness of Jesus Christ works in a different way. He changes us. He strips us that we may come before him. The question makes the man draw the real meaning of the recognizing who Christ is, the, the, uh, the identity of Christ. Jesus claims only... God is good. Jesus claims to be good. Therefore, Jesus claims to be God. Amen? Jesus is the God, the Son of the living God. Now, if you have anything else you want to add to that, be afraid. Because you don't want to add anything to that because Jesus Christ was all God, all man that paid our debt in full. Amen? Now we see that God is the great God, the good God that gave us the good law. It declares in him, Jesus declares to be the good shepherd, and he's shepherding us even this day. He goes on with the answer and says, But if you wish to enter the, uh, into life, keep the commandments. Well, God has already defined what is good, and that is the good commandments. He already knows this. What he doesn't know is that you can't keep them. What he doesn't know is that you can't be a perfect uh, law-abiding citizen because time does not forgive sin. This ruler said, well, I, I've kept the law all the way since I was a youngin'. Time doesn't forgive sin. You hear it many times in, in our conversation and, and talk about people about the law. We talk about people about the Lord. Jesus loved this man enough to give him the law. That brings him to salvation. It's what hurts that makes it feel so good, amen? It's the God of mercy that shows us our, our imper uh, imperfection. 
by showing us his perfection. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, I could not save myself. Hallelujah, he stripped that all from us. And we see that Jesus says to him, keep the law perfectly. And he, the man knew. He may not, not have given it to us in Scripture, but the man knew what the law was. It was uh, perfection. Jesus doesn't lower the bar. He raises the bar so much higher. Jesus said if you ever hated anybody in your heart, you committed murder. Jesus said if you ever looked upon another person, you've committed murder, I mean, uh, uh, adultery already. Jesus said that he didn't come to lower the bar. He came to raise the bar so much higher. And he goes to this ruler and says, you know the law. Mark 10, 19 tells us that you know the commandments. You being a ruler, you know nothing but law giving can he get. And the, uh, the 613 commandments also added by the Pharisees, and this man may even been at the Sanhedrin, but he asked this question right here with the answer of this same answer given. He says, which ones? You mean I got to keep all the 613 laws of the Pharisees? And, and then the Ten Commandments and all the other laws? Well, how was he asking this? Uh, he was, was his questioning a right? He added to, Jesus went on to say right here, says, um, he says, which one? Jesus said to you, and he says, you know, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he added, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. Jesus quotes the second tablet, the law, five through nine. Jesus did not mention covenant at this time, but it's coming, it's in there. We see that you shall love your neighbor as thyself, as this man truly done this. The central lesson of this is the goodness that flows from not from man's deed, but rather from God himself. Only God, the lawgiver, can keep these commands. This lawgiver drives us to the cross and in level ground at the cross for every one of us. Nobody gets to come a different way. No matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, everybody comes the right way. And you can have, have a self-righteousness about you on either end of this. Don't think that escaped. You can have an idol on either end of this. But one thing we do want to see is that Jesus goes further than this. And he says, if the Bible says plainly in James, it said, if you have broken one of the commandments, you have broken them all. He becomes guilty. He knew Isaiah chapter 64 and said, all oh, your righteousness is filthy rags. He, this man is becoming guilty more as the conversation goes on. And he says, this young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? I, I'm thinking that was a really bold answer. All these things you have kept from your youth, like the other Gospels in Mark says, all these things that you have kept, you have kept, been able to keep these? On the outward appearance, this man was perfect. On the inward, he was full of dead man bones. Rotting corpse. We see this is self-righteousness at the finest. But one thing you have to understand Time 
does not forgive sin. So if I was 10 years old when I committed a sin, time doesn't forget it, forgive it if I'm 30 or 40 or 50 years old. Time does not forgive sin. You ask people, you press people and say, well, I haven't done that since my youth. I've kept all these things since my youth. Time does not forgive sin, amen? All these things have to be nailed to the cross, paid in full by the God-man, amen? This is the God to pay our penalty that we may come in, and we have to be slain by the knife of the word of God and be honest before him. What is it that I'm trusting in this very day? Because today we are killing idols. Today the word of God is killing idols. Today we are answering the question, well, all these things I have done. I've always been a Baptist. I've only, always been a Christian. That's impossible. Nobody in this building or on this earth has always been a Christian. No one has always kept the law. But this man knew something about this good teacher, this, this man that the crowd is all around. He's asking all the right questions. Man, he's doing all the right things. He must not have heard Jesus a uh, 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 sermon on the sermon on the mount, the Beatitudes. He must not have heard that. For blessed are you, the poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. I, Lord, help me. Blessed is the pure in heart. They shall see God. This man doesn't have a heart at all. It's just uh, nothing but self righteousness. It's just him uh, trying to tell Jesus, "This is how I deserve to come in." Is there anything else I need to add to my life? Is there anything I need to add to it to make myself right? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. What happened here? Jesus hits the idol. Jesus touches on the very thing the man was trusting in. The same thing when we came to know the Lord, Jesus shows us what we're trusting in. Jesus shows us by loving us. He had a love for this man. He had to love this man so much that he brought him to the commands of God. He loved him so much, he didn't just get him to repeat a prayer. He got him to the goodness of God, the, the holiness and the, the perfection of God. He brought him before that throne. Amen? He brought him there. He loved him enough to tell him about the law that would cause this man to be guilty before God. If this would do a, a, a work, if God's doing the work in this man, this would do a work in a man, in a person. It would cause him to repent and put his faith in Christ. All those that the Lord has drawn will come. But he puts this, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You hear that? Because this is pointing on us as well. Where your treasure is, what is your treasure? What was your treasure this past week? What captured all your attention? What were you about? What the treasure of your heart, right? What is on the top shelf in your life. What is Jesus second to? Is Jesus an addition to your life? Is Jesus 
pointing out to you that you have something else that is your first love. You have something else that is on the top shelf. You have something else you're depending on your goodness and not depending on my mercy. Jesus clearly brings us out how perfect he is, how perfect God is, and them being one. He describes to this man, right, one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and follow, follow me. Come and follow me. So we have a tendency to get everything right to the point of come and follow me. Bob's clear that this rich young ruler wants to follow everything except the exact thing that Jesus wants him to turn away from, his idol. His idol is the mercy of God that shows us his idol. This man show, is shown to his, his idol. Are you willing to be for God to show you your idol? I mean, because we're people of uh, reformed doctrine and everything. That could be an idol. We're people of uh, believing what Scripture says. That can also, if it comes before Christ in an unbiblical kind of way, that also can become an idol. Anything can become an idol that's in our lives. But what are we trusting in? What are we truly trusting in? We are going to be exposed by God this very day. What good things shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? What does it mean to truly follow Christ? He was unwilling in all his humbleness and all his outward appearances to truly follow Christ. He had everything else going for him except this one thing, his idol. Now, it just doesn't mean that money is an idol. It doesn't mean that you have to sell everything in order to gain the kingdom of God. It means that you have to kill your idol. You have to crush your idol, turn away from your idol, right, and follow Christ. Not just do it one time, but it's a life of following Christ. It's a life of counting the cost of what it means to be a disciple. It's a life that a man, if he loses his life, he will save it. If a man finds his life for Christ's sake, he will find it. If the man loses his life for my sake, he will find it. What if it profit a man to, to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? There's nothing here that I want. Amen? Is there something here that you want? It's the security in what you have. And right away this man said, and we go to the rejection. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. He was one who owned much property. He didn't want the exchange. He didn't want to pay the penalty or the price. He could not pay the, pay the penalty. It's going to cost you everything to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Everything. Every idol that you may have in your life it's going to cost you everything. The man had the right question, and he got the exact perfect answer, right? And now here he has at this point right here, I'm not willing to have you as my only security. I must have Jesus plus. I must have Jesus plus. If it's Jesus plus anything, it's not Jesus at all. 
If it, say it again, if it's Jesus plus anything, Jesus plus my baptism, Jesus plus my repentant prayer, Jesus plus me doing all good work, Jesus plus me feeding the poor, Jesus plus this or that, whatever it is, if it's plus Jesus Christ, it's not him at all. But everything is motivated upon a new heart this man has not received, but a new heart that only God can give. That stony heart has no problem with sin. Man, he loves sin. He loves idolatry. He has no problem with it. Until God changes his heart, then he has a problem with it. When it comes to the commandment, he broke the first one. This man knew about God outwardly, but he did not know God inwardly. This man went away grieved to the point of distress, not willing to count his life but done. To put it all away and to follow this God of the Bible, the only true God of the Bible. And we see that this man, when he left, after being revealed that he broke the first commandment, thou shalt have no other God before me. When he left, you notice that he said nothing. He said nothing. He did not try to argue or bargain or anything to that extent with Jesus. He said nothing. Exactly what the law was designed to do as we have in Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 19 to 20 and I'll read it to you. So now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. Every mouth may be closed. You see that? This man's mouth was closed by the law of God. He had nothing to say. He left without God. And all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. There's no other way to evangelize. We bring them to the law. We bring them to mercy. We show them what Christ has done. The one true God, the one and only God that has always been that. We see in this kingdom connection we go on. So we have seen the, the question, the answer, and we see the rejection. The rejection. That's just a horrible thought if you think about it. The rejection. He rejected Christ. He rejected the standard that Christ has given. And he left with his mouth shut. In verse 23, as we see the kingdom connection, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, it's plain that the Bible, Jesus goes in and through the narrow gate, where the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to what? Destruction. But there are many who enter through it. We see that in Matthew 7. And it's interesting, when the disciples heard this, what did they say? They said, uh, that when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? That's another great question. 
But they're not asking Jesus this question. They're asking one another this question. Jesus stands out and, and, and watches them uh, wrestle with this question right here because a, a lot of times we have, in one time of our life, have wrestled with this question. Well, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Who can be? Therefore, who can be saved? If a rich man can't, uh, a rich man cannot go through, uh, or excuse me, if a rich man cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, or a, is it easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle? It's impossible. You, you know that. And some have said that, you know, it's a picture of a gate that the camel has to be stripped down and the camel has to crawl through there. Then, it's a, then it is a possibility. I say to you today, Christ has already said it's impossible. So I'm going to go back to the original where it says it's, a, a camel cannot go through an eye of a needle. Amen? Neither can we save ourselves by good works. Neither can we save ourselves by doing the right thing. Neither can we save ourselves by any other way. This is exclusive. This is a narrow way. There's only one way, right? And it's through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's no other name under the heaven. Wherefore, man must be saved. That excludes everything else, amen? That excludes everything else. There's no other name under the heavens wherefore a man must be saved. There's only one God. There's only one Jesus. There's only one great mercy of this truth. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way. He's not a truth. And he's not some a life. No one come to the Father but through Jesus that the children are brought to Jesus. No one comes to the Father, but through Jesus. Jesus is not a way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one can come. John 6, 44 says, No one can come unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. No one can come. We can't do it ourselves. Can a leopard change his spot? This is one thing that we have, the kingdom connection that we have right here, is that the Father, has, all that the Father has given me will come. Do you see that? If you have a life for Christ, I mean a love for Christ, and that's the question, do you truly love Him? Do you love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? I know you can't achieve that in perfection, but do you love Him at all? Is He sharing in your life, a seed in your life with what you consider to be God. This is the kingdom connection only through a broken and contrite spirit. He will not despise. And when God finds us out and reveals himself to us, we see his great mercy. And these, again, this, this man did all the right things and still left without God. He asked the right question. He asked the right person. He humbled himself. He bowed before God. He did all these things, but with the wrong heart, he missed God. Then who can be saved? Only through God, because when God does the work, he's going to start it and he's going to finish it. Amen? And when he does that kind of work, he does it for what? His own glory. See, it's not about us anymore. It's all about him. And when he reveals to us the truth, 
of the impossibility of us gaining any kind of favor in him that would save us from him, through him, and to him, what is this? Well, only God can say. No matter how many things we try to conjure up, only God changes the heart. Only he can take out a stony heart and put it in the heart of flesh. This is the kingdom connection. This is the true kingdom connection. Jesus is not an addition. And again, you, 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 we think about the leveling at the cross. Everybody comes the same way. Those will, if you have a little amount of sin, for those that have a massive amount of sin, everybody comes the same way. By the drawing of the Father, by the mercy of God, by exposing himself to us, exposing our sin to us through the law, that we see that there's nothing good in us, why would he save somebody like me? I got, I got an answer for that, for his own glory. Why would he save somebody like you? For his own glory. That's how he brings glory to his mercy. That's how he brings glory to his grace. That's how he brings glory to his love and forgiveness. And I will finish with this. With people, this is impossible. It's exactly that. But with God, all things are possible. The all things is the commands of God that no man can fill. Every Jesus being the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice, being all man, all God, he paid that penalty for us in full. In full, hallelujah, amen. We can't lose it because we didn't get it. We're not in charge of it. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling to honor him, to glorify him. Why? Because he changed everything about us. We now truly do love him. He's worthy of all our treasure. From the very everything about us, Christ is worthy for us to follow him with all that we are. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your great mercy. Father, as we examine ourselves, we pray for more mercy, more grace, that we may see that we can do all the outward stuff, but the question comes today, Lord, uh, is do I know about you or do I know you? Do I truly love you because you've changed my heart, changed my mind? Give me the gift of repentance by showing me your law. My mouth was stopped as every believer, and the whole world became guilty before you. In all your goodness and all your splendor, it still comes back to this question, Lord. Do we truly love you? Or are you an addition to something that we have done? We pray, Lord, as 
we think about these things. And as we prepare to come to the table, that we would examine ourselves. Help us, Lord. We praise you and thank you for your word and your truth. In Jesus' name.